So hello and welcome to the latest episode of the new PL, Principles and Leadership in Business, the podcast series. I'm Paul, host of the new PL, and I'm very grateful you've taken the time to listen today. Just before we start the podcast, we obviously continue to experience unprecedented times, and it's a worrying time for many. So I wanted to start by expressing to everyone my sincerest wishes. I hope you're keeping safe and well. And to all those who are working on the front lines for us and on behalf of us across the world, thank you so much for your work and your effort. Greatly appreciated. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify or another platform and you like what you hear, please do take a moment to review us. It all helps our ratings and our rankings. And if you'd like to ensure you never, never miss another episode of the new PL, then go to principlesandleadership.com. We'd love to have you as part of our community. So we believe business needs a new PL, one that is as much focused on principles and leadership as it is on profit and loss. Because we know if your principles are right and aligned with your purpose and your leadership has a clear vision, focus, strength and empathy, then your business will be in profit and not loss in so many ways. This week on the new PL, I'm very excited to be welcoming Dr. John Demartini, one of the world's leading authorities on human behavior and leadership to the show. Dr. Martini's education curriculum ranges from corporate empowerment programs, financial empowerment strategies, self-development programs, relationship solutions, and social transformation programs. His teachings start at the core of the issue, addressing the human factor and range out to a multitude of powerful tools that have proven the test of time. Dr. Martini has studied over 30,000 books across all of the defined academic disciplines and has synthesized the wisdom of the ages, which he shares on stage in over a hundred countries each year. His presentations with the keynotes, seminars, workshops, leave clients with insights into their behavior and keys to their empowerment. So Dr. Martini, a very, very warm welcome to the new PNL, Principles and Leadership and Business podcast series. I feel very privileged to have you on the show today, so thank you. No, thank you for having me. Pleasure. Uh, I think it would be great for the few listeners that perhaps don't know or aren't familiar with your work, if you could just give us a brief description of what you do and who you work with. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, I, I do four things. I research, I write, yes. I travel, and I teach. And I've been teaching for 47, going on 48 years. Mm-hmm. I've been 154 countries doing it, and I, I love it. And anything to do with maximizing human awareness and potential and evolving uh, human consciousness and, and the accomplishments and fulfillment that people are here to put on the planet and anything to do with maximizing performance I, I, I'm involved in. And I've been, I, that's what I do every day. So Fantastic. Fantastic. Now, now with the corona, St. Corona going on, I'm, I'm uh, doing a lot online, but yeah. uh, normally I'm traveling and going city to city, but now I'm going around the world by, by email. And, and uh, yeah. webinars and things, podcasts. How are you? How are you finding that for someone who travels so extensively? How well, are you finding the? Yeah, I love traveling. I do yeah. love that, and I'm used to you know going from city to city. But temporarily, it's been great. We've reached people in, all over the world uh, mm-hmm. this way that I've not been able to reach. So I'm reaching people and opening up doorways in many countries that I have not been able to reach as as effectively. Yeah. So I, I I'm I'm grateful. I can't complain. Yeah. Look, you're um. I did a lot of research, obviously, for the podcast and preparation, and your work is so extensive. So 
we'll go through a few questions. We may not get through them all, but um, one piece that interested me to sort of start the interview, you mentioned in another interview that I uh, watched when I was researching, and I quote, anytime you compare your current reality to a fantasy, how it should be, how you wished it would be, you're not going to appreciate your reality. And that struck me because I thought when you think about the entrepreneurial approach to business, fantasy is, I guess, a key component that sort of spurs innovation, the belief that anything can be done or anything is possible. So I wanted to start the podcast by understanding how the, the necessity of reality in your mind is balanced with the need for fantastical thinking that drives innovation. Okay. It's probably an etymology of fantasy. Um, I define a fantasy as something that has a, a positive outcome without challenges, um, which leads to a nightmare that has negative outcomes without upsides. Uh, a real objective can be stretched and can be a really creative endeavor without a fantasy. Mm -hmm. You know, where there, you don't get fantasies accomplished. You get real objectives that to other people would be perceived as, as fantasies to them. So but an individual, like going to Mars, for instance, SpaceX isn't about a fantasy. It's about doing engineering to the hilt and getting the greatest creative minds together to get things done. Mm -hmm. Each of us has a set of priorities, a set of values we live by. And whatever's highest on our value, we are spontaneously inspired to act on. Whatever's low on our values, which is more extrinsic, we need motivation to get us to do. Whenever we're doing things that are really, really high in our values, uh, because we're spontaneity, we have spontaneity in the pursuit of it, we're willing to embrace both pain and pleasure in the pursuit of it. Mm -hmm. We're willing to tackle the challenges of doing it. And innovation, creativity, original thinking, and genius is born when you're pursuing challenges that inspire you. But because there, there's the, the pain and the pleasure there, Mm -hmm. uh, it's an objective. Objective means even-minded. Yes. And when we're doing that, the blood glucose and oxygen goes into the executive center and allows us to have an inspired vision, strategically plan that and mitigate the risks, execute the plan, and, and calm down and, and you might say dampen the volatilities of the things that distract us from that, mm -hmm. which leads us to an outcome, a real objective, not a fantasy. Yes. But when we're trying to do things lower on our values, our, our lower subcortical area of the brain is more of a desire center to avoid pain, seek pleasure, to avoid predator, seek prey, to avoid negative, seek positive. Mm -hmm. And it has a tendency to pursue fantasies. Mm -hmm. And a fantasy is a pursuit of a, a, an upside without mitigating the risk of the downside and then getting smacked distressfully by the things that you didn't see. see. And so I define a fantasy as blind impulses towards something that's immediate gratifying that's not really a long-term planned objective that has a strategic step-by-step -step momentum building set of actions that lead mm -hmm. you to the result of. Okay. So that's the difference. I understand. Um, you mentioned in that answer a little bit about the prioritization of values and uh, you talk a lot about living congruently with your highest values. Given the, the extent of this current pandemic, what values do you think society and business and government need to prioritize and take forward. And I guess when you look across those three groups, there will be some values that are common and perhaps some values that come into conflict with one another based on the, on the requirements of each of those individual groups. So what values do you see as they need to prioritize? Well, 
if you study axiology, the study of values, you'll see that there's always a spectrum of values from one extreme to the other. Just like in the body, you have mitosis and apoptosis, building and destroying. You have anabolic and catabolic. You have reduction and oxidation. You have alkalinity and acidity. You always have pairs of opposites. Mm-hmm. In society, you have pairs of opposites. Even in a family, you'll probably marry your pair of opposites. You'll marry the person with the opposite mm-hmm. set of values. So a leader has to be able to handle paradoxes, contrary opinions. And they have to be able to lead knowing that they're going to be supported and challenged in the pursuit. Mm-hmm. And they have to take the most objective information based on the most solid facts about what is wise for leading the country and endure the ridicule uh, in the pursuit and know that that's part of it, but articulate to the best of their ability the pursuit and the objective in the way that people can relate to it with the broadest understanding in those values. Yes. And that's the art. And there's no way you're going to please everyone, but you're going to do it. Now, if you go through and are a pollster as a leader, and you're just going by what you think the majority are wanting, that could be valuable for getting politically elected, but it may not be valuable for the objectives factually of what's greatest for the country. Mm-hmm. So finding the courage to be standing out, endure a pursuit of something that's truly important for the country versus just going by possibly impulsive reactions for temporary needs by people is what the difference between a upholstered leader is and an actual real leader. Yeah. Now, there's no way you can avoid meeting people's needs as a leader. Otherwise, you won't be elected. But you want to be able to articulate in a way where you can communicate what you know is necessary in terms of people's values so they're now working and seeing what you're wanting to do on the way, not in the way. Mm-hmm. But you do have to listen to people's needs. Anybody right now in the challenge of the corona, if they're not stopping, deeply reflecting, not living in the past of how good it was or how the fantasy of how it could be, but just get grounded. What's happening right now? What are the resources I have? What are the opportunities that I see before me? And how can I maximize those opportunities with the most efficient actions in the highest priority manner to serve the greatest amount of people uh, with the resource I have today? If you do that on a daily basis, you're doing as much as any human being can do on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Some of the, or as it stands at the moment, and I would caveat that by at the moment, many countries across the world with female leadership seem to have thus far come through the crisis with, I guess, a reduction in both the health and the economic impact on their countries. And I think specifically, but not exclusively of my own country, New Zealand and Jacinda Hedern and what she's achieved there thus far. Um, they've achieved that through a mix, a sturdy mix of clear communication and decisiveness and courage, as you suggest, but also tempered with a a slice of measured vulnerability and compassion, I think, and understanding. Do you think we've reached a milestone in terms of the broader recognition of the qualified strength of female leadership at a, at a political and a business level as a result of this? Well, I don't know. I, I, I've seen a full spectrum of um, a full androgynous spectrum across leadership. I've seen females that, that run businesses as the classical traditional male role. I've seen female run it as if they're running a family. I've seen businesses of males doing the same thing. So I don't want to genderize um, this too much because I, I, I think that the, I've seen and respected 
male and female leaders who are able to make decisions and do things. Mm -hmm. And I think that a, an individual, whether male or female, if they're caring enough to listen to the people and articulating the importance of where they want to lead according to the people's needs. You know, I, I teach a program called a, a Demartini Values Training Program. And what I do is I take an individual and we identify what their highest values are in their life by going through a 13-step criteria. We take the next person, we do the same for them. And then we ask a very simple question. How specifically is what's highest in your values, the three most important things in your life, helping me fulfill what I'm most important in my life, the three most important things in my life? Mm -hmm. And then vice versa, how is these three in my life helping you do it? And I make them do links for an hour, one hour just doing links, and see if they can't get a minimum of 50 links back and forth between them. Yep. And I watch the dialogue, the respect, the ability to work uh, cooperatively immensely emerge in every case. Mm -hmm. So the, the quality of your life is based on the quality of the questions you're asking. If you can ask how specifically is what they're dedicated to, helping me fulfill what I'm dedicated to, and answer that and, and, and not say, I don't know, I can't see it, but find it. Yeah. You open up dialogue instead of having alternating monologues. And as a leader, even though they could have completely polar opposite um, values, no matter what they are, you can find how that still serves you because both sides serve. You need both support and challenge mm. in order to maximize performance. That's why we have an autonomic nervous system of the parasympathetic and the sympathetic because we need support and we need challenge. We need prey to eat. We need predator to keep us fit. Mm -hmm. And we need both sides. And the leader who can handle those paradoxes equally without bias and see how both serve is able to articulate fluently and congruently their message and their mission and what they know is an important objective from the facts in terms of those people's values and have the greatest amount of appreciation as a leader, even though they're dealing with complete opposites. Yes. One of the, I guess, the big challenges with the current situation we have is whenever we generally go into a recession or we have, have other economic challenges or natural disasters, there is somewhere, somewhere who has an idea about where the future needs to take us and where, where to guide us, if you like. The challenge with the pandemic is at the moment, no one has the answers. We don't fully understand the virus. We don't fully understand the contagion. So from a business leader's perspective, or those that are running SMEs or mid-sized businesses, how do they look from a positive perspective for opportunity when there is very little guidance about where, what direction to turn to look for that opportunity? Well, I'll answer in two steps here. Okay. I was speaking in Toronto a number of years ago to a group of doctors, and a gentleman put his hand up after I did my presentation for questions. He says, Dr. Demartini, where is our profession going? And I, my answer was, if you're having to ask the question, you're a follower, not a leader. <laughs> if you're a leader, you'd be telling me. Mm -hmm. Each individual, if they're brain offloading decisions to other people <clears throat> and they're subordinating to the conformity of some outside source of leadership, um, is probably not going to fare as well as if they take command of their life mm -hmm. and make the decision themselves based on where opportunity lies today. Now, I don't believe that there's a crisis without a blessing. I've never seen it in my life. I've, I've always seen opportunities. And so right now, 
if you're stagnant and holding on to the past and expecting the world to come back to what's going to make it work in the past, you're probably going to be frustrated. But if you stop and look and open your eyes at where opportunities are day by day, there's always opportunities. Mm-hmm. There's always opportunities right this minute. And so the, the adaptable organization that's living congruently with what its true leadership values and principles are is going to morph and find the needs of the people and adapt to meet those needs constantly to meet those needs. Yeah. And if the ones that, uh, it's just like McDonald's at one time, they, did, they only did burgers. And they realized that people wanted salads and people wanted a little healthier foods. So they adapted and they brought it in and they kept going. The individual who cares about humanity right now, instead of themselves and only themselves, is going to do quite extensively well right now because there's, mm-hmm. with this crisis, there's great opportunities. Yes. There's somebody right now that's needed. There are some businesses that are flourishing right now. Not all of them are down. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the online deliveries and the businesses yep. that are doing those, those are all flourishing. Yes. Uh, I've been blessed. I've, been, I've had a biggest business in the last few months I've ever had. Mm-hmm. So there, there's, it's a matter of adapting and meeting people's needs and finding out what those needs are and having a willingness to adapt. Because running your story and being a victim of your history is never going to be as powerful as becoming a master of your destiny. Yes. And a master of your destiny is the one that's making the decisions. If you don't fill your day with high-priority actions that inspire you, it fills up with low-priority distractions that don't. If you don't fill your day with things that actually make a difference, that serve, that fulfill your and other people's values, then you're going to get smacked by reality to teach you how to do that. All the symptoms of our life are feedback mechanisms to make sure that we're maximizing our equitable, fair exchange with other people in a way that brings fulfillment to ourselves and others. Mm -hmm. So if we concentrate on that instead of wallowing in our story, and um, we we do quite well. Yep. So there's never a crisis or a blessing. Why yeah. wait and have the aging process when you don't need the aging process? You can find out the wisdom of the ages right now by asking quality questions like, what truly is the highest priority thing I could do today that could serve the greatest number of people? Mm-hmm. And how is whatever is happening right now helping me fulfill that? Mm-hmm. If you ask that question and answer it, don't stop to answer it. You won't be burdened. You'll be inspired. I will take that away with me for sure. Um, You've spent, as you alluded to earlier, over four decades in personal development and, and high performance leadership. What characteristic or part of the human condition do you find most resistant to positive change? And does that characteristical level of resistance change over time as, as an individual gets older? Well, again, when we live congruently in an alignment with what we value most, we because we're spontaneously acting and we gain confidence and our self-worth goes up, it's having a goal that matches that, that where we, where we tend up emerging as a leader. We expand our space and time horizons. We wake up our genius and innovation. Mm-hmm. We uh, build momentum, incremental momentum, and we're adaptable with micro changes consistently, as Jim Collins says. When we do that, uh, we we are automatically the one that is able to take command of our life and become the visionary of the future. Our executive center and visionary centers literally light up. But when we're not doing that and we're subordinating to other people and living in the shadows of others, offloading our decisions to others because we think they know better than us. We think the person over there is smarter. They think they're more successful. They think they got more wealth. They think I've got a prettier wife or husband. They think they got more social savvy or Facebook people lists. 
Uh, they think they got more physical health or they're more spiritually aware. The moment we subordinate to others and compare our actions to others' actions, we automatically brain offload and we basically act a chameleon and we live in their shadows and right. we just disempower ourselves in conformity. That's the herd instinct. And that's a survival mechanism. It's not a thrival design. But the second we give ourselves permission to walk an unborrowed path, you know, visionary's pathway and be possibly ridiculed because we're breaking paradigms mm-hmm. and we're doing the things that most people are afraid to do and even ridicule you for doing. Those are the misfits. They're the square pegs in the round holes. They're the individuals that Steve Jobs was talking about that changed the world. Mm -hmm. Not because of fantasies, because they have a vision and they see how they can get that and they're willing to go and pursue it and tackle the challenges in the the pursuit of it and mitigate the risk and not give up on it. And that's the only only place we're going to be that perseverant is in our highest values. That's why I talk about values so much because, and those values are intrinsic, those highest values. And they're the ones that are calling us into an action that inspires us. And when we can't wait to get up in the morning and be of service to people, people can't wait to get our service. Mm-hmm. And that gives us the sizzle and the competitive edge and, and you know, that, that we require in order to be a leader. And we get to exemplify to other people authenticity and integrity that then draws and magnetizes other people, places, things, ideas, and events to synchronize with our innermost dominant thought, which is an expression of our highest value. Mm-hmm. So we literally have our thoughts become things and we become creative in a, in a very amazing way. Our brain is set up to do that. Our mm-hmm. brain is doing everything it can to help us fulfill what's most meaningful to us. It's set up to do that. And we follow it and we prioritize it. We live by that. And we learn to delegate all the lower party things and give job opportunities to other people. Why wait for job opportunities? Make them. Find what the need is and make the opportunities and become an entrepreneur. This is the greatest opportunity for entrepreneurship we've had in years. Mm-hmm. One group of workers over the last few months that have worked with a great deal of authenticity and integrity are those that are now classified as essential workers or key workers in, in countries all around the world. Many of them were recognized previously as those who were low paid workers and they've effectively been rebranded and their and their respect has been elevated in our community i wondered what your views were on how society values them will change after this pandemic or the level at which society values them will change how it will change after this pandemic and whether for these workers who have been traditionally seen as lower paid and and perhaps their jobs not as worthy as accountants or lawyers whatever it happens to be how they have this moment in time to, how they can take this moment in time to build on the value that has been belatedly given to them um, and recognized and how they can build on that when we come out of this pandemic. Well, right now we have a temporary heightened uh, value on those essentials because we're in a, in many people's minds, not all, uh, a survival mode. When that survival mode passes, and we start moving back up into more of a thrival hierarchy, uh, they, will, they will go back down into a lower value structure. It's automatically. When we're under crisis, we appreciate those crisis management after that. We, I, I'm going to use a, a, a joke here. Pardon me if this offends somebody, but I, I sometimes am offensive. I, um, if you're running down a, walking down a street in the middle of the night, you just come back from a restaurant, and it's a, it's a blind, dark street, 
and all of a sudden you hear behind you somebody running behind you and they got a hood on it looks like a, a, a it could be a jogger it could be a, a guy that's about to come and get you you may all of a sudden call upon some anthropomorphic deity in your mind to protect you your temporal lobe might fire off you might get into hyper religiosity you might just go dear dear source protect me from this runner or this person and then when they run by you and just it's just a jogger you say i'll get back to you later and so what happens is when we're under crisis uh we we, we turn to those systems in our brain and in our society that help us survive mm-hmm. once we get past survival we go back up the hierarchy and go back into thrival again and then now our needs are no longer those other ones because we've transcended it so right now they're going to be appreciated and honored I can't guarantee that that's going to continue once we get back on the game again. Mm-hmm. So each individual is based on needs. You will always be honored to the degree that you are filling people's values. It, it, you know, your value in the world is based on people's values. Mm-hmm. I, I ask people in every country, I've, I've spoken 154 countries, and I've had asked people, how many of you ever used Microsoft Windows? And every hand goes up. 99 to 100% of the hands go up percentage-wise. I said, now you understand why he's a billionaire. Because he created something mm-hmm. that every single one of you use. Now, if you sat down and cared enough about humanity to think about what does humanity, what could they use? What could humanity use that could be a value to every human being? There's no reason why you can't position yourself there. Yeah. So as long as we keep at the cutting edge of finding out what people need, mine's in the area of human behavior. If I fulfill human behavioral needs around the world and I'm willing to do what it takes to get that out to the world, then I have the opportunity to meet and reach millions and billions of people. Yes. And I get rewarded by that. Yep. There's, there's nothing stopping any human being from doing that. Uh, nothing. I've yep. seen a young boy who lives in a township of South Africa decide to change his life and start doing that. And I watched him rise out of his poverty and inspire people. So it has nothing to do with where you've been or it has nothing to do with what you're going through or what you've been through. What matters is, are you willing to do the things that have proven themselves to escalate survival into thrival mm-hmm. and to excel and to do something extraordinary on planet Earth? If you do, then you have an extraordinary life ahead of you. Yeah. One of the um, challenges, I guess, when I've spoken to a lot of entrepreneurs over the, or the reoccurring themes over the past few weeks is, expression from some that they may have been running their business for 20 or 30 years. They've like most given up many sacrifices in their life to get it to a, a good place. And now they're perhaps 50 or 55 and they find themselves in a position now where as a result of the crisis this year, they're having to put their house back on their line, their assets back on the line. And there's a, there's a huge amount of despondency sort of thinking, how, how did I end up back here after all of this hard work and effort, if you like, now, they can't change the, the pandemic and they can't change the reality of the financial situation. So how do they change their, their mindset to look at what is a very, very challenging position in a different mindset to, to sort of change their focus on the future, future, future-proof their business and, and have a better approach as they come out of the pandemic? Well, this is giving as many people time to reflect, if they're using their time wisely, plan, as an executive and think out more effective and efficient strategies to serve more people. So this is a great opportunity time for people that do have time on their hands because of this. I've said for many years 
nearly four decades, 38 years, that most people don't have a value on wealth building because they, they have a fantasy of financial independence, but that fantasy is the lifestyle, the rich and famous, the Kardashians, if you will, that is about consuming depreciables, mm -hmm. things that go down in value and living beyond your means and working and having vanity run your life. The wise individual financially is the individual that lives wisely within their means, saves and invests a portion, a progressively increasing portion, builds up a cash reserve for emergencies of at least a minimum of three, but six months is more minimum. The Fortune 100 companies and leaders have about half to one year's worth of liquid capital always sitting there for these type of moments. Mm -hmm. And they keep cash reserves so when there is crashes in the market, they can take advantage of the crashes and offset the decline by actually getting passive income returns by buying at the bottom. Yeah. So people, there's absolutely no reason for us to be sitting and putting ourselves in that situation. It's just a lack of knowledge of how to structure our economics. And these moments right now, hopefully, are awakening people to be more conservative and not live beyond their means and not impulse buy and not be consumers excessively, but to actually wisely think long-term of what impact this could do and then wisely manage their life. If they wisely manage their financial life, this doesn't have to happen again. Mm -hmm. The people I know, I've, I've had, I don't know, 500 letters in the last month and a half of people saying, thank you for teaching me how to manage my money. I'm using it right now to make more money and the amount mm -hmm. I'm not getting from my business, I've made from my investments because I had cash reserves and nice. I've done what you taught me. And they're not stressed. They're using the time to creatively think of how to adapt to the market, using it to their wisely. So this will force people who are living by impulse and instinct to start living by intuition and reason yeah. and to follow and think out and foresight and plan. Because people either live by hindsight, by trial and error, which is the lowest heuristic, or foresight by, by strategic planning. Mm -hmm. Alan McKinsey in his book, The Time Trap, showed that the people that live by foresight far excel in thriving compared to the people that try to live by hindsight. Yes. Yeah. And so the distress levels that people have are self-imposed. And, and I know that that doesn't sound nice to people, <laughs> but the reality is it's self-imposed. Yes. They've chosen to let impulse and immediate gratification put them in this situation and they haven't valued the money and they haven't valued. There's three things that are involved in valuing wealth. Valuing serving people because without that, there's no source. Valuing you raising your standards methodically, incrementally, not excelling, but doing it methodically and incrementally with a plan, yeah. foresight, and transcending the attachments of impulse and instinct, saying money is evil or money is good and getting emotional about it. Because if you have emotions about money, you can't manage it. Right. And one of the reasons why people are in a financial situation is because they're living their life not valuing wealth and not valuing long-term accumulation of assets. As a result of it, they're, they're constantly living on the edge. And that's a self-imposed experience for people. And I know that that sounds cruel, but I've seen people that it make very minimal amount of money and save a portion of it and live wisely. Mm -hmm. I've seen also people that make $6 million a year, which is a pretty good income, mm -hmm. and be in debt at the end of the year because of all the lifestyle choices that they're making. So it doesn't matter how much you make. It has everything to do with how you manage what you make. And the hierarchy of your values dictates your financial destiny because it determines how you make decisions. Yeah. The, the last few months have thrown up uh, a lot of evidence of heroes and villains in our business community. 
um, and the brand damage or reputation damage for some will take a long time, I think, to repair. Um, do you think this demonstrates how thin the veneer is when it comes to a commitment to, to corporate values within some businesses? Or do you think that it is just an unfortunate and understandable reaction to an extreme situation by business leaders that are perhaps simply not equipped for the extent of the change or the crisis? Well, I don't fall into the illusion that there are saints yeah. that don't have sins yeah. and sinners that don't have sainthood. I always say that there, within every hero is a villain, with every saint is a sinner, with every vice is a virtue is a vice. I don't live in the fantasy of one-sidedness. Mm -hmm. I find that futile. I, if I went up to you and I said, you're always kind, you're never cruel, you're always nice, you're never mean, you're always positive, you're never negative, always giving, never taking, always, uh, you know, uh, generous, never stingy, always peaceful, never wrathful. Your bullshit meter would go off and you go, uh, not exactly. <laughs> if mm -hmm. I said to you, you're always mean, you're never nice, you're always cruel, you're never kind, you're, you're always uh, negative, never positive, always wrathful, never peaceful, always taking, never giving, your bullshit meter would go off. But if I said to you, sometimes you're kind, sometimes you're cruel, sometimes you're nice, sometimes you're mean, sometimes you're positive, sometimes you're negative, sometimes you're pathless, peaceful, sometimes you're wrathful, sometimes you're generous, sometimes you're stingy, you'd immediately go, that's true. Hmm. So I don't have false expectations on people to be one-sided. I don't expect leaders to be one-sided. I don't expect CEOs to be one-sided. I expect them to be human beings with a set of values, making decisions according to what they value, because that's what they're committed to. Hmm. I'm not interested in what they say in public. I'm interested in what they live. I look at what people live, not what they say. Hmm. If I do that, I set realistic expectations, and I don't end up betrayed. Betrayal is not what somebody does to you. Betrayal is what you do to you by having a false expectation about people to live outside what they actually value. Once I understand that, I understand that when they're running a company, they may have to do a completely opposite thing than what they've been imagining themselves doing in order to survive a change. Now, the people that have foresight and adaptability are less likely to have to go to those extremes. But the people that are, have not planned and are not adaptable, and are not meeting people's needs. They may have to go to the opposite extreme just to humble themselves from their pride of thinking that they're only one-sided. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm both sides. I'm not a nice person. I'm not a mean person. I'm a human being, and I can be nice when you support my values. I can be pretty mean if you challenge my values. Yes. That's human being. Yeah. So if we have an expectation and we start following into a false attribution bias that we think that somebody's a hero, it's our own delusion. They're going to have the other side. It's just a matter of what nature will bring to, to make it surface. And it's to their advantage. It humbles them, and they don't buy into their own bullshit. And we don't then be a dependent on brain offloading to people we have a fantasy of who they are. We end up accounting, being more accountable to who we are, and make decisions more wisely. So it's a win. It's not a, it's not a detriment. What um, characteristics and values do you feel we need in our business leaders at the moment to to, as soon as we start releasing from this pandemic to drive us forward to, to thrive, as you suggested earlier. And those characteristics and values, do you feel they're in abundance at the moment or do you feel they're in deficit in terms of our leadership? Well, people in the study of morals and ethics have always tried to find it. Montaigne tried to find a universally ascended morality. Uh, it's, it's a futile attempt. I'm absolutely certain about it. I've been studying, I've studied over 400 texts on that topic. Mm -hmm. There is no such thing. McIntyre has done a great job at outlining that. It's a waste of time to think you're going to find a university ascended value for society. 
It's an idealism. It leads to hypocrisy. It creates an artificial division of people who do and don't and um, makes pride and shame and it's, it's, it's useless. Human beings, the, the, the world needs a perfect matrix of countercultures and opposite value systems to work. You need people that are dedicated to children and raising families. You need some that are dedicated to business and some dedicated to intellectual pursuits and some dedicated to social political uh, pursuits, some to spiritual pursuits, some to fitness, mm-hmm. and some to making just friggin' money. Everybody's needed. So I don't like to put an, uh, an arbitrary ideal about somebody and how they work. I, I'd rather go and look at how the matrix is working and morphing and changing and seeing it because it's constantly morphing and moving around and to put it in a box is to have futility. So the, the thing is, is anybody who's living authentically according to what they do value will excel in that area mm-hmm. and they will in, exemplify what's possible for other people. And if everybody does it in their own unique set of values, all the niches get filled ecologically in a sound way. Mm-hmm. At one time, when the germ theory, when, when Koch's postulates came out and Pasteur came up with the idea of the, the antibiotic against germs, there was a belief system that germs were bad. I remember lecturing 41 years ago on the benefits of germs and bacteria and viruses mm-hmm. and rickettsia in the body, and I got laughed at. I was lecturing about that 41 years ago. Yep. Today, they understand that microbiome management is not about getting rid of germs. It's about regulating the ratios of them. And that our immune system is not about solving the attack against germs. It's about actually perceiving. It's now a sensory system perceiving with receptors the ratios of germs in the body to regulate back with the autonomics, the secretions to get the microbiome back in balance. Mm -hmm. The same thing with moralities. It's not about getting rid of something that's not right. It's about understanding how to put them into perspective so you see where they regulate themselves. And, and to me, understanding human behavior, when you can see the hidden order in the apparent chaos, you can bring about the order. Yeah. But when you're actually one who can't see the order and thinks it's chaos and trying to shift it, you actually contribute to the next chaos because you're, you're not seeing the whole picture. Yeah. So I'd rather go probing in and find the hidden order and walk with certainty down a path of, of uh, knowing that order and lead the way from that. And so it's not about finding the right values. Um, I, I remember meeting with a gentleman from American Capital Corporation. We were getting ready to go to lunch. And he had a massive company, 40 floors in this one building he was managing. And a $4.5 billion hit that morning in the, in the markets. And he took it. And I, said, I asked him, what's it like to, to have four you know, $4.5 billion worth of assets just disappeared, poof, in the morning. He goes, it just fluctuates. I just, I got to get used to it. Yeah. And I said, how do you make the right decision? He says, I don't. I make decisions and then I make them right. That was a real, that was a shift. Yeah, a great piece of advice. No matter what he does in his decisions, somebody's going to like and dislike the decisions. Mm-hmm. So you can't make a decision always right because there's somebody with a completely different set of perceptions. Yeah. I, I was doing a program on how to be more efficient at work. And a gentleman was attending the program and he went and applied it and he got promoted at work. He got more productivity at work and has, has got honored at work. And the boss said, ever since you went to that seminar by Martini, you really have really made progress. But his wife bitched at me, says ever since he went to that dang seminar, he's been working more. He's been putting more hours on. He doesn't know his kids and everything else. Those two value systems are going to label me as a hero and a villain. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I can't, I can't be distrayed. You know, I can't please everybody that way, but I can understand how to communicate effectively in both of those ways. Yeah. We are heading into what's largely called the fourth industrial revolution with AI and automation, machine learning. We live in a, live in a world largely driven by algorithms. Has this fundamentally changed the way or the human value system or the way we approach values or the way we, we understand values to be, or does technology have no impact on, on our value system as individual humans? Technology comes from the term techni. And techni was a means to an end. That's what its original meaning was. Mm -hmm. The end in mind, according to Aristotle, was teleology, telos. Right. Which meant the highest value. So technology was designed to help human beings fulfill their highest value. Right. And so what it does is it liberates them from doing redundant activities that can be delegated to people who are not inspired. Mm -hmm. uh, and it allows us to automate those activities so we have the capacity to use higher developed areas of our brain to go and do more creative things. So technology is not going to be an interf interfering with our evolution. It's only going to help us. And we go around and we see doomsday and gloomsday and, and zoomsday and boomsday, you know, depressive yeah. and manic perspectives on technology. But I pay no attention to the schizophrenic view about technology. Technology is going to have things it's going to build and it's going to destroy. It's going to be positive. It's going to be negative. There is no such thing that doesn't have both pairs of opposites. Yeah. The question is, is how do we use it wisely? How do we learn from it as we go along? There's going to be benefits and drawbacks. We're going to have to go back and refine them as we go. And we're going to keep using them and they're going to keep advancing. And we're going to keep giving us permission to use our creative part of our brain more effectively mm -hmm. and more, in a sense, abstractly, mathematically, towards a universal language, which is mathematics worldwide. So we're not, it's not going to hinder us someday in a few billion years, the sun is going to expand into a red giant phase when hydrogen and fuel is used up and goes to helium and through the carbon, nitrogen, oxygen cycle. When that occurs, the red giant phase is going to expand. And we don't know for sure exactly whether our planet's going to go out and get mm -hmm. into a Goldilocks zone and be sustainable, or whether we're gonna be centered like uh, you know, Venus has, has been. Whatever it is, human beings have to continue to technologically advance. Otherwise, they're going to go extinct. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have to go and become solarized, not, not just globalized, but solarized in the next decades to come and century to come. Eventually, interstellarized. So we have no choice on that. That's just that's our survival mm -hmm. mechanism. So technology is an essential component. And anytime we can delegate things that humans used to do, that now humans can use their higher brain centers to be more creative in, to contribute more, it's only gonna assist us in the process, make yeah. it more efficient. I remember when I was 18 years old, we had to do a slide rule to do our mathematics <laughs> in engineering. Mm -hmm. And there was a big attack on the Texas Instrument computer to do the slide rule of calculation. Yes. And people were trying to sneak in and just do the calculations to pass the test. Yeah. We had to do and the, the, the guy was adamant about it. That's not how you do it. You gotta do it by a slide rule because that's the way it was. Well, he doesn't have a job the technology move forward. Mm. And if we don't advance with the technology, those societies that don't eventually get consumed by those societies that do. 
Yes. Any area of our life we don't empower people will overpower us. And any country that doesn't empower itself technologically will be overpowered by the countries. So it's just a matter of using them wisely, learning from them. We'll have lots of trials and errors along the way. It's just like genetically modified foods. There's going to be, it's going to be essential. We're going to learn how to master it. We're going to yep. use CRISPR. We're going to be able to monitor, monitor our genes. We're going to have to use it wisely. We'll have a few fatalities along the way. We'll have a few gains and losses, but we are not going to stop moving forward. That's just the way it works. Yeah. Do, do you believe the those sort of coveted principles of entrepreneurialism that, um, you know, laser, laser sharp focus and determination and relentless belief and faith, do you think they are innate characteristics and bestowed only on a few? Or do you think from your personal development side, do you think they can be taught to either business leaders or, or in fact, all of us? Um, or are they are some people more naturally inclined to have that sort of determination, focus and belief? For centuries, there's been an argument or a debate. Is it nature or nurture? <clears throat> are you born a leader or do you develop a leader? And there's no doubt in my mind that since I've been in a leadership industry also that you can awaken leadership in people but you have to find out what they value yes and you got to not try to put them into a box about where they're supposed to lead you got to find out where they value <clears throat> let me give you an example <clears throat> many years ago 15 years ago or so not many 15 um, i had a lady who was an accountant come to my my financial program i was doing in brisbane australia and she said <clears throat> Dr. Demartini, I, I'd like to ask if I could do a private consult with you. I said, certainly. And it's about my son. I said, okay. So she said, I, I'll pick you up from the hotel. I'll take you to where I am. And I want you to introduce, introduce you to my son. So I go and meet, meet this 16-year-old boy. And he, um, she says, he's lazy. He's not driven. I'm a single mom. I'm working. He's 16. He needs a job. She's trying to make him accountable. Mm -hmm. And all he was doing is sit in front of his video games and doing his computer. Now, she didn't do computers. She grew up in an era that computers wasn't it 15 years ago. So she was computer relatively illiterate. Maybe do an email, that's about it. So she's judging him for sitting in front of the computer. Kind of like Bill Gates probably did. Mm -hmm. So I went in the room, in his room, and I said, hi, I'm John. Your mom says that, uh, you know, she's on your case. And, yeah, she's on my case. She's bitching at me all the time. And I said. I said, so tell me about what you're up to. What are you up to? Well, I'm doing this and this. And the guy was designing software for video games for his buddies. <laughs> and so after I sat with him for an hour and learned about all his skills and talents that she didn't recognize, I came out of the room and she said, well, did you talk some sense into him? And I said, no, I hired him. <laughs> <laughs> I hired him to do a software project for me, yeah. but he did an extraordinary job. And I saw him about four and a half, five years ago, in Brisbane again, speaking to about 1,200 people. And um, he was in the front row with his mom, Rosa. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I reached down off the stage, jumped down off the stage and gave them both a hug and shook hands with the son. He was right there. Wow. And he makes a quarter of a million dollars with IBM yep. a year as a developer and creative individual in the IT business. Mm. And all she said with a big smile on her face, she says, my son, my son, he's a genius. Yeah. So sometimes we impose our limited understanding on the necessity for advancement of technology. Mm -hmm. 
and don't understand its use. And we judge people thinking, well, they're off track. They need to be doing this. They need to be doing that. And finding out what people are truly inspired by. Terence Tao, the greatest mathematician in, in primes, um, who's created most of our security systems and technology, his mother found out that he loved mathematics and let him go for it at a young age and took him out of school and they, they said he would never make it. And they, he took and did that. Jacob Barnett, the same thing, went on to study astrophysics. Physics girl, the same thing. 13, she built her own motor. Mm -hmm. They found out what they were spontaneously inspired to do. They let them excel in the thing that they spontaneously do. They automatically develop the brain and myelinate with glial cells, those areas of the brain most effectively. And they wake up their natural born genius because they can't wait to pursue the challenges that inspire them, which is what makes genius. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, if you fill your day with high priority actions that inspire you, you automatically wake up leadership capacities. Mm -hmm. So I can take any human being, find out what they value, and start leading them incrementally in that direction and watch them take on leadership roles more and more and more, and then link other things associated to that through education and keep expanding that leadership role. I can take anybody and do that, and I've proven that. I've done it in schools and townships in South Africa where 27% of the children were passing high school, their matrics, and we turned it in one year to 97%. Wow. So I'm absolutely certain that you can be awakened, mm -hmm. but most people don't know how important authentic pursuits of what values is highest in values in people do. So what inspires you then? What's your inspiration every morning or, or what drives you on? I mean, clearly you're passionate about what you do and your job and, and the change you make, fundamental change you make to people's lives, but you need a higher value as well. You need something to aspire to, to drive you. What, what is that inspiration? I was born with an arm and leg turned in and had to wear braces on my arm and leg when I was a child. Mm -hmm. When I was a year and a half to about four years of age, I had to wear uh, put buttons and strings in my mouth because I couldn't use my mouth properly. And I had, I had to go to speech pathologist. By the time I was in five years old, um, the teacher said that I don't belong in the class. But in first grade, my, my mom and dad had to come to school. And my, the teacher said, your son is a dunce. I don't think he'll ever be able to read or write or communicate, never mount a thing, never go very far in life. I only made it through school by asking the smartest kids questions. Then when I turned 12 years old, my parents moved to a, from a Houston, Texas to a small town where there were no smart kids. It's a low socioeconomic, uh, racial minority kind of thing, area. And I dropped out of school and I was a street kid at age 13. From 13 to 18, I was a vagabond, hitchhiking street kid, but wanted to go and surf because I could stand on a surfboard. So I hitchhiked from Texas to California, down into Mexico, back into California, <clears throat> panhandled money on the streets of California, and made it to Hawaii when I was 15. I lived under a bridge, then in a park bench, then in a, a bathroom, and then a car, and finally a tent, and rode big waves, and got to be in surf movies and surf magazines at the time. Did you? And rode big waves, 40-foot waves. Wow. I had a death wish, I think. That's why I was able to do it. And then one night after nearly dying, I literally came close to dying surfing big waves. I was led to a little class by a teacher named Paul Bragg. And Paul Bragg lectured one night to 35 people sitting on a little wooden floor 
And he said that we had a body, we had a mind, and we had a soul. The body must be guided by the mind, mind must be directed by the soul to maximize human potential. And he says, what we think about, what we visualize, what we affirm to ourselves, what we feel about ourselves makes a difference in the world. And nobody had ever talked to me like this. Mm -hmm. I was just told that I, would, I was a dunce. Yeah. And that night I had a vision of me overcoming my learning problems and becoming a teacher. And I saw that in a vision that night, it's like epiphany. And um, that was 47 plus, almost 48 years ago, November yeah. before. And I knew that night with that vision that that's what I wanted to do. I didn't know how I was going to do it. I just knew that that was it. When the why is big enough, the house will take care of themselves. Yeah. And I started applying what he taught me. And going from a street kid, um, I turned my life around. Mm -hmm. One man in one hour, one night with one message impacted me. Yeah. And I thought if he could do that for me, I bet I could do that for more. Yeah. So I made a mission, a mission that night to do that. I have not stopped since. Yeah. So I'm a man on a mission. That's, <laughs> that's a great story. That's a really, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, on that note, we sort of end each podcast with what we call the new PL for the point where we invite guests to deliver one or two key takeaways for listeners to take away and use in their business and apply. What would those two takeaways be from your perspective? Identify what's truly, truly, truly meaningful and inspiring and most important to you. <clears throat> Structure your life in such a way that you're delegating all else to people who would love to do those things you need to delegate. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Don't do desperate things. Get on with the things that truly are meaningful that make a difference in people's lives. Do it in a way that serves the greatest amount of people you possibly can. Give yourself permission to be authentic doing that. That's where you're going to make the greatest difference. You're not going to make a difference fitting in. You're going to make a difference standing out, being mm -hmm. yourself. And then give yourself permission to do that. Something extraordinary on the planet. And if you fill your day with truly high priority things on a daily basis, that's the most that any human being can do. Yeah. If they stick, as Gary Keller says, the one thing every day, the one thing that is most important at this moment and build momentum doing that, you'll be unstoppable. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with, there's nothing the mortal body can experience that the mortal soul can't override and rule. So there's nothing that has to be from the outside. When William James said that the greatest discovery of his generation is that human beings can alter their lives by altering their perceptions and attitudes of mind, he was right. Mm -hmm. We have the capacity to take <clears throat> our perceptions, our decisions, and our actions and mold them into mastery. Mm -hmm. So give yourself permission to be a master of your destiny, not a victim of your history. That's a great piece of advice to end on. I did have one small question to ask at an end. Um, you've famously read 30,000 books. What's the book that has touched you most or had the most impact on your life out of those 30,000? There's a two volume set, which is really one book by Mortimer Adler. That's called The Great Ideas. It comes from one of the series of the great books of the Western world. Mm -hmm. And he has summarized the greatest thinkers for the last 2,700 years in the Western world and summarized the greatest ideas by the greatest thinkers into two, two volumes. Mm -hmm. It's a PhD on life. It covers the most, everything that a person would need to do is a PhD on life. 
And I think that that's the two great volumes, one book that I'd recommend any human being to study it. And it's not something you'll take lightly. Mm -hmm. It's something you'll read and digest, but it's the best education. I read it when I was around 21. Yeah. And I can tell you that it was a, a very impactful book and he deserves to be accoladed for his contrib contribution to putting that book set together. Yeah. But it's one of the greatest two volumes you'll read. Thank you. It's called yeah. Syntopic, and the title is called Syntopicans, Volume 1 and 2. Okay, Syntopicans, Volume 1 and 2. Thank you very much. Uh, because I'm a surfer as well, I have to finish on this. Are you still surfing, Dr. Martini? Hold on a second. I, uh, <laughs> I can find... Uh, let me just see if I can find this picture here. Yeah, I think I got it. When I was 16 years old, mm -hmm. I was surfing Haleiwa on the North Shore. Yeah. And Lord Blair um, and Becky Benson were surfing together. Mm -hmm. Lord Blair was 65. And he was riding a waves. There's about 28 foot faces. And I thought, that's pretty cool. He's 65 years old. He's cranking. Yeah. So I made a goal when I was 16, 49 plus years ago. Yeah that I would ride the North Shore on my 65th. <laughs> so, I don't know if you can see it, but there I North Shore, 65th. Oh, well, what a legend. So I went out to Pipeline and surfed Pipeline, and I surfed uh, Lani Akea yep. on my 65th birthday. I was out in the water by 6 in the morning, and I was in by 11, and I, I surfed those two spots. And, um, yeah, so now that goal is now put it at 100. So when I've hit 100, I'll see what I can do to surf the North Shore again. Well, that's, I'm very pleased that we've ended on that. That's, um, that's a great way to end the podcast. Yeah. Dr. Martini, thank you so much for your time. It's been uh, an absolute pleasure. Thank you. No, thank you for the inter interview and for the questions. My pleasure. For all those interested in finding out more about what Dr. Martini and his team at the Martini Institute do, please go to drdmartini.com. That's dr as in doctor dmartini.com. And to all of you who have downloaded and listened to this and other episodes of the new PL, I thank you once again for taking the time. And if you'd like to subscribe, please go to principlesandleadership.com. And if you'd like us to consider a specific topic related to the new PL or interview you, do let us know. We'd be very happy to chat. So finally, I'm Paul from the new PL, Principles and Leadership in Business. And thank you once again for listening and stay safe. <laughs>